Welcome back to Drew and Co. Unplugged. I'm very excited for today's episode. It's going to be a two-parter. I have my friend Zach Ash coming on, doing an interview with him, where we will be talking about college football, Ohio State specifically for the first part. Uh, We touch a little bit about the rest of college football, but mainly Ohio State. And then in part two, we dive into the NFL and fantasy football. It was a absolute blast having Zach on here, and I'm looking forward to the feedback from this. Hello, Zach. How are we doing today? What's up, my man? Oh, you know, in uh, true Drew and Co. fashion, I was over here speed racing trying to get a late lunch going, so I didn't think that the listeners would want to listen to me chopping veggies, so that's why I was trying to rush through, but uh, (laughs) we're at least at a point now where we can uh, divulge into some sports, but to begin, I would love if you told the listeners a little bit about you. Um, man, I mean, I don't know where to start. I mean, let's see. First off, how long have I known you since you were like 12 years old or something? Um, you were just the little, the little neighborhood boy <laughs> running around that, uh, that I got to know by, by, through my wife, um, who grew up next door to you. So <clears throat> we became friends over the years and, uh, have tried to stay in touch and even though you've been all over the country, man, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm from, uh, Drew's little small town here in, here in Meigs County. And, uh, I'm a teacher here. Um, like I said, my wife, Katie and I, uh, we've got two kids. We've known Andrew a long time and, uh, man, I'm excited. You, I'm excited you started this. Uh, I think it'll be, I think it'll be good for you to get a lot of stuff off your chest. So I'm excited you started this and I'm, I'm glad you have got me on here. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that. You know, one of the things when it came to thinking about starting this podcast, I talked with one of my buddies who I talked to a lot. He was in the military with me as well. He lives in Maine. And just every day, I feel like I was talking his ear off about something or another. And I'm like, man, I just feel like I have so much more I can say. I just don't know how or where to say it. And then you know, I hear about podcasts. I see people, you know, the Joe Rogan experience. I listen to that and it's like, man, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be at something like that. That's not really my goal or ambition, but I'm still in this state of wanting to say something. And so it kind of just led me to take in the leap. And I'm pretty stunned with the amount of views that I got on the first episode the second episode views are great as well, although for some reason I'm still struggling to get it on Apple Podcasts. I had a buddy actually trying to help me out with that last night, and it seems like I got it published on one side, but it just hasn't made it to the other side yet, so hopefully we get that figured out, and then by the time this airs, and then hopefully this one, there's no issues, and we can you know, get it all smoothed out, but I do appreciate you know the kind words of starting this pod and, you know, just being a listener. And I'm super, super stoked that you're the first person to guest speak on here and just, you know, just get on here and talk and have a good old fashioned fun time. 
<laughs> yeah, man. Uh, like I said, you're you're lucky you got me because Rogan was calling me last week trying to get me booked up, and I was like, nah, man, I got to hold off for my man Andrew and uh, you know make sure I get him first. So you're, you're lucky you got me on the schedule. Yeah, I know. It was uh, <laughs> talking to your publicist. It was it was tough. It was it was tough getting you scheduled in. I know you're doing guest appearances here and there. I know David Goggins has been talking to you for some advice to sell. <laughs> yeah it's a whirlwind man it's a whirlwind up here in Meigs county absolutely so i know we've been talking about what we want to talk about i will tell the listeners i'll give them a sneak peek into the future zach being a teacher we are going to have him back on the pod again and get super deep about the life of a teacher what that looks like uh, dealing with the mental health of students and being empathetic and dealing with your own stressors as the teacher, especially in a small town where, you know, funding's not through the roof by any means. However, this episode, we're going to keep it nice and fun and light, and we're going to talk about sports. So let's dive right into the Buckeyes. And I even said in the intro that I recorded before getting you in here, I said that we we're going to talk a lot about the Buckeyes. And I said, if you want to stop listening here, that's okay. So I know there <laughs> might be a Michigan fan, but I did tell them we're going to talk about some other stuff as well. So what is your initial reaction to the Buckeye game this past week? Um, I'll say my initial reaction oh. is probably – Probably not as dramatic as most of the fan base. Um, you know how Buckeye fans are. They're, they're passionate. They expect perfection week in, week out. And uh, I don't know. I'm just not panicking. Um, certainly, I saw a lot of good yesterday, along with a lot of bad. Um, you know, a lot to improve on, but I don't think we need to hit the panic button yet. Um, like I said, I, I, I saw a lot of good, good throws and stuff from McCord. Um, definitely a few bad ones. Um, the offensive line struggled, you know, defense looked really good. Um, I mean, I can get into more detail on that here in a minute, but yeah, just first overall thoughts. I'm not panicking. We've seen slow starts the season before, you know, it reminds me of a couple of years ago, CJ Stroud's first start against Minnesota was not very good. I think he went like 13 for 30 on passing or something. And it was a sluggish start. Um, and we barely won that game too. I mean, it was it was close. Yeah. I think what we ended up winning by like ten or eleven. So it was it was pretty close throughout. And I think we finally pulled away a little bit there in the fourth quarter of that game. Sure. I mean, so you look at him. You know, his first start wasn't impressive by any means, and you know, turned out to be the second overall player in the draft. So you know, I think he turned out okay. Uh, Justin Fields' first start. I remember it wasn't pretty either. I remember his spring game was bad. His first couple games were. You know, not bad, but lackluster. And um, once again, he turned out okay too. So, not panicking over McCord's first out, like a first start. You know, like I said, lot to, lot to improve on, but saw a lot of good things too. So, and you know, another thing that we can reference in terms of good starts when it comes to quarterbacks with high state, if you look back on the year that we won the national championship, the first college football playoff, Braxton Miller got hurt, JT Barrett got hurt. Cardell Jones, and we actually lost to Virginia Tech that year. What was it, the yeah. third game of the season? And I think I think that was yeah. like 
I can't remember if it was where Cardell first started his first game or if that was where we had lost JT in the middle of the game and Cardell took over. But, I mean, imagine at that time we were playing an offense that was based off of Braxton Miller and his insane athleticism, dual threat quarterback, and how he was able to, you know, run the RPO like nobody's business. And then it goes to J.P. Barrett, who also was an RPO magician. I think all the Buckeye fans out there would agree with that, despite not loving him wholeheartedly throughout his career at Ohio State. But he was insane with the RPO. And then you go to Cardell Jones, who – it's just a straight-up drop-back pocket passer. He can run if necessary, but for the most part, you know, he's a gunslinger. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of think uh, if, you know, looking back on that season, if you can you can go through three quarterbacks and, you know, lose that awful game to, to Virginia Tech uh, early in the season and still come back and win a national championship, then, you know, nothing I saw on Saturday – alarms me any more than than that season so you know anything can happen I mean even looking back to Georgia last year I mean you know they're the two-time defending uh title winners now and they had several I mean several very lackluster games last year I mean they were on the I remember them for sure being on the ropes against uh Missouri one game you know I think Mm -hmm. we played Penn State or somebody and didn't beat them by all that much I mean so you know Buckeye fans are going to do what they do. They're going to panic and, and freak out and, you know, oh, we didn't score 80 points first game. You know, we didn't look like Oregon the other day or whatever. But, I mean, like I said, you know, it really makes me too concerned about the season so far. Well, and another thing to add in there, if you look, there was quite a few teams that were playing FCS teams to open up that are, you know, top 10 teams, and they weren't beating teams like crazy. Now, I know there was a couple of games like Oregon put up 70-plus points, Oklahoma put up 60-plus points, and those games were out of hand, but, you know, they're playing FCS teams. But Michigan didn't have the craziest performance ever. I mean, I know they won 30-3, to but they didn't play anybody. So... And I think one of the things I do want to know, because I didn't state this earlier, and for those that don't know, so Ohio State did play at Indiana, so conference game, to open up the year of football. And that, to me, is a huge, huge perk for scheduling and strength of schedule when it comes to the college football playoff and what that looks like, because this will be the last year where it's four teams. Next year it expands. Um but, you know, like I said, you got all these other teams playing FCS teams, and we're going to Indiana playing a conference game. And, you know, they're always – they're just one of those stingy teams that always tries to play us really, really tough. Not that, you know, other teams don't try. But they, in the past, have given us some problems, kind of like going to Iowa or going to Purdue. So I've noticed that scheduling a game like that really – is a bigger test of McCord right out the gate than most people would anticipate. I mean, you said it. I mean, going on the road, 
you know, against a, a Big Ten opponent who, frankly, was a lot better, especially defensively. They, they didn't have much going on on offense, but defensively was a lot more stout than I expected. And, you know, like you said, breaking in a, you know, a new starting quarterback, you know, two brand new offensive tackles, a brand new center, um, lots of new faces on, on, on defense. I mean, you know, a 20-point win on the road, conference opponent. I mean, you know, it's a win. We'll take it. I mean. Now, and I know we talked about C.J. Stroud's debut and what that looked like for him. I think the big difference for his debut and the debut from McCord is a lot of us Ohio State fans, we anticipated that the play calling was going to be a lot more of that gunslinger play calling. But it seems like Ryan Day was just extremely committed to the run. I mean, three running backs we saw, and it didn't feel like there was really any play set up to really go downfield. I think we only tried to throw it downfield like twice, maybe three times the entire game. And I think that was like the big difference that I saw from C.J. Stroud's first game at quarterback and seeing it as McCord's. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and you know, I heard I heard that a lot yesterday of people saying, you know, the play calling was too conservative. We needed to open it up more, which I think we did in the second half. But, I mean, if you really think back to, like, basic football 101, okay, you know, you're the offensive coordinator, head coach, and you've got a brand-new starting quarterback. I mean, three brand-new starting O-linemen. You know, what's one way you can help them? Running the ball, right? You know, not making him have to come out and throw it down the field 40, 50 times a game. So I think Day had a good, um, you know, a good plan in trying to establish the runner. Um, Indiana was playing the run probably better than we expected. You know, we've got a deep running back room. Um, you know, run blocking for a new offensive line is typically easier than than uh, pass blocking. So, you know, running the ball early was a good plan. It just kind of got – it got stuffed out by them early. Um, another thing that I saw, you know, was uh, a lot of 12 personnel, which is, you know, two tight end sets, a lot of tight formations, um, stuff like that, which is another way to help out a young offensive line. You know, when you're starting a, a, a brand new offensive tackle on the left side, you know, Josh Fryer on the right side, who has one start under his belt, brand new center. Um, one way you can help them out is with the tight end, you know, to help them out with blocking a little bit, help with chipping, um, stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think, I don't think Day's, uh, plan game plan going in was that um crazy you know I think he was trying to be conservative you know break in his new legs under him before he opened up the playbook a little bit so you know I, I don't see where why game one running the ball a little bit running two tight end sets you know why I mean yeah it you know maybe we should have opened it up a little more but I think it was a good game plan to start off and then you know in the second second half um, it, it did seem like we opened up the passing game a little bit more, um, but, you know. You know, I think the thing that also caught me a little bit by surprise is going through spring training, all that stuff leading up to this game, Day was very, very adamant about playing both quarterbacks, and I did not think that we saw Devin Brown that much. We saw him that one series – and they called three running plays. Two of them were running back design, and then the last one was quarterback design. Now, do you think that we didn't bring him in because the game was closer than expected, or did you think that 
it felt like that shift had happened a little bit where the comfort level with McCord was starting to increase and we didn't want to kill that momentum. But I do think a lot of fans were disappointed that we didn't get to see more Devin Brown considering he is a lot more of a dual threat quarterback than McCord. Yeah, I mean, you said it. Um, I think I, I think Day said even in the press conference afterwards, um, you know, the the plan to get Evan in more, um, you know. But like I, I told a couple of my buddies, like I, I also think that the plan was to be up by you know three or four scores in the first half before you know Devin really also came in, um, and that you know game flow didn't really allow that to happen. Um, with like I said, Indiana, you know, they they. Had a couple dudes on defense that really, really uh, disrupted our offense a little bit and our rhythm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've been a Devin, a Devin Brown fan um, for a long time, you know, coming out of high school. I, I even remember saying last December that he was the guy who I wanted to be the starter um, just because of that dual threat, you know, upside or whatever. Um, but I also said going into yesterday, you know, we're going to find out um, – or excuse me, Saturday – you know, we're going to find out whether this was really a quarterback uh, battle or not, or if McCord was the guy. And um, I think you could see that when the game was on the line, you know, Day was definitely more comfortable with McCord being in there, um, which tells you, hey, this battle might not have been as close as, as what everybody thought. Um, so, yeah, I, I think in the end, you know, Day just, you know, the scoreboard was closer than – then it, it probably should have been. So, uh, you know, he went with McCord, and that's that tells you all you need to know right there that uh, he's on McCord in the game. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that game made it. And I'm sure this next week, being that we're playing, you know, a not great opponent, uh, I believe that we'll see a lot more Devin Brown. And, you know, Dale will give him his – opportunity so to speak but I think like you said it's it's pretty clear that the decision I don't think it was nearly as close as what it was made out to be to me it seemed like hey McCord's our guy and we're gonna roll with him until something you know turns us away and makes us choose otherwise yeah yeah for sure I mean I think you know going into even going into fall camp I mean it was Devin, or excuse me, it was McCord's job to lose. Um, you know, I, I think they, I, he was always going to get the first shot. Um, I know they said Devin surged and and looked good for a little while and probably out, outplayed McCord for a little while in, in fall camp. But, you know, I think uh, he was also a little more prone to taking risks with the ball. They said he maybe turned the ball over a little bit more than McCord. Um, but he also had the bigger, you know, upside, the bigger playability than McCord. So, it was just kind of a, you know, risk 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 reward factor of you know, do you want the guy who, you know, is a little more steady, a little more consistent, a little less prone to turn the ball over, um, or do you want the guy who's kind of that boomer bust? You know, you might he might break off a sixty yard run or a sixty yard pass, but then he also might, you know, come back with a couple interceptions. So, you know, I, I think well, early in the season, I think safe pick and uh, try to roll with that. And I think one of those things, when you look back at fall camp and stuff like that, one of the things that you got to think about when you're McCord, you're trying to be very methodical with everything that you do because you know, you know, these guys know who 1A, 1B is or 
whatever. And I think where Brown, he knew like, hey, man, I've got absolutely nothing to lose. I can come in here, try to sling the ball around, put on an amazing show and see what, you know, what happens. Yeah, for sure. And then I think the disappointing thing for most of us fans is we're so over the moon excited about Marvin Harrison Jr. And for him to only have two catches for 18 yards, that was probably the biggest letdown. And I think that's what a lot of us are concerned about in terms of the play calling. And because like you said, a lot of two tight end sets. And when you have two tight end sets, you're able to, he's able to get doubled all the time. And I think that's what led to a lot fewer targets and receptions and obviously yards. There was one of the plays in the third quarter where Marvin Harrison Jr. was wide open on the right side down the field and McCord just did not see him. And I think that's another one of those. And like we were talking before off the pod, is that when you're a fan, you're able to hit replay. You're able to nitpick every single aspect of the game. And I think that's like the most frustrating because you're used to Justin Fields. You're used to CJ Stroud. You're used to, I mean, if you think about it, granted it may not translate over well in the NFL, but in college, Ohio State has been QBU since what? Justin Zwick back in that was back when our defensive days with Tressel and you had Troy Smith, Terrell Pryor, Braxton Miller, Fields, JT Barrett, you know, all these guys that have just been phenomenal. And it's hard to maintain that kind of QB room for a decade plus, like we have. Yeah, for sure. I mean, going back to, you know, to Marv, I, I think. <laughs> Had anybody said going into that game that, you know, Marvin and Emeka, probably the top, you know, two or three wide receivers in the country uh, would be held to what, like three or four catches and like 30 yards. Um, I don't think anybody would have taken that bet. You know, I, I think everybody would have thought they would they would pop off. But but like you said, you know, when you're running those uh, those sets with more tight ends, that means one of those guys is coming off the field. And, uh, you know, like you said, if you <laughs> you know, a lot of Emeka's catches are coming because you know, he's able to get, get free a little more across the middle because, you know, so much attention is paid to, to Marvin Harrison. Um, so, yeah, when you're pulling one of those guys off the field, you know, they can just cue in on Marv and, uh, you know, sure, it lets the tight ends get open. But, um, yeah, certainly I, I think in a lot of those, you know, third third down situations, I mean, he's got to eat up more targets than that. I mean, he <laughs> – you know, he's he's the number one receiver in the country for a reason. And, uh, you know, when you look at other schools that have stud wide receivers, you know, they're just feeding them the ball left and right, you know, every chance they get in different ways. And, um, yeah, to see him only have two touches is definitely definitely concerning because, I mean, I mean he's got to get 10-plus every game no matter what, whether you're force-feeding it or, or not. I mean, he's he's got to touch the ball more for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I look at him – the way he is this season for us is kind of like how Cooper Cup was for the Rams when they won the Super Bowl. Like, they need to just feed, feed, feed. And then it is interesting when you talk about Emeka Abuka. I think when you think 
of the combo of Marvin Harrison and him, it really makes me think a lot about when Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown were together. I think it's a very similar style combo. Um, When they were at Pittsburgh, I mean, Antonio Brown was the best receiver in the NFL for five, six, maybe even seven seasons straight. And then those last few years, Juju just took off. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, like this might be the guy. And this isn't me knocking um, Abuka, but it's one of those things. Abuka is so good because Marvin Harrison is so good. And I think that's what helps him, just like with Juju Smith-Schuster, whenever he went to a team as a standalone receiver – it changed a little bit and he was getting doubled and he wasn't, you know, averaging all these crazy amounts of catches and yards. And so I think that's one of those things that's interesting. And that's what I think of every time I see them as a combination, but he should be Marvin Harrison jr. Should be utilized kind of like how Devonta Smith was utilized against us in the national championship game. uh, When we played Alabama a few years ago, I mean, how many catches did he have that game? Probably like thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember, but I mean, yeah, he, I mean, he went off against us for sure. Not to, you know, bring up the painful past, but that's just one of those <laughs> yeah. things that I think about whenever I think about these receivers and how they equate to and how they could be utilized. But one of the most underrated coaches in college football who could easily easily be head coach or running off in somewhere as Brian Hartline. Yeah, and I mean that's huh, kind of another sub storyline uh you know from Saturday and and this season that Buckeye fans were interested to see too is you know they they gave him the bump to uh you know to OC in the off season but you know, a lot of people said, including myself, is is he really, you know, is that just a title or is he going to be calling the plays? And, you know, it still looks to me um, from Saturday that Day was calling the majority of the plays, um, which I don't know. It, it's in part, you know, you, you got to you got to understand it from Day's point of view. Maybe he wants to break him in easy. And, you know, Day is known for being, you know, a great play caller and whatnot. Although some Buckeye fans are going to argue with with me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, too, about, about Brian Hartline, like you said, um, you know, we're going to have to give him, uh, you know, give him some of his, some of his dues because uh, if we don't let him become OC and start taking over, I mean, somebody else is going to poach him very quickly. Um, so I, I saw one comment on Twitter. I don't know how true it was or not, but um, somebody said they thought that it looked like in the fourth quarter of the game, that uh, Day wasn't calling the plays and that he thought they thought that Hartline was. So I don't know if that's a day's way of maybe saying like, all right, let's ease you in slowly and make this a little bit more of a, a team effort thing. And then I'll kind of let you loose. But um, you know, to me, like I said, if you you want to keep Brian Hartline around and I know he's a, I know he's a Buckeye, but at the same time, you know, money talks and uh, for being, an elite recruiter and, and an elite up and coming coach in the profession, man, we're, we're going to have to start letting him, letting him eat because otherwise if, if we don't do it, somebody else will. So, Right. And he's going to be in a situation where he's going to feel forced to, you know, at the end of the day, he's got to do what's best for him and his family and the opportunity. And 
probably any coach of any sports level will tell you that when you get presented with that opportunity, that's just too good to pass up. You have no choice. You just, you have to take it. And, but it is interesting that, and I'm not as active on Twitter, so I don't read a lot of like forums and stuff like that, but it is interesting that you point that out because if you look at it, the play calling did seem a little bit looser in the fourth quarter and um, still trying to get used to Ohio state plan on CBS, which is, you know, uh, interesting thing on its own. I can tell the commentators the first couple of quarters, they were a little salty about it too. Cause you know, they're a hardcore sec kind of, um, network, but you know, now that we're all over the country and coverage, they have to cover us. So it is interesting though, because like I say, it did open up a lot in the fourth quarter. And I do wonder, with Youngstown State, Western Kentucky coming up the next couple of weeks, is Day going to trust him to open it up and see what he can do, or do you think there's going to be limitations there? I mean, to me, if you're looking at you know the next two games coming up on the schedule, what what more perfect time to let Hartline try to open it up and and uh, see what he can do and see what the offense can do? Because I mean. You know, let's be honest, those next two teams are, are not Indiana. You know, they're not Notre Dame. They are a, a good a, a cupcake, if you will, to uh, try to test some stuff out on. So, I mean, to me, if I were Day, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, this would be a perfect audition for uh, for Heartline just to say, you know, let's see what you can do. And, um, you know, the thing about it is, too, you know, people, I, I, even myself, want to say, like, you know, let's see what Heartline can do. But, you know, who knows? Maybe he's an elite recruiter, an elite wide receiver coach, but maybe he stinks at calling plays. I, you know, we don't know because he's never done it. Um, there's right. been plenty of guys you know, who have been great positional coaches that didn't turn out to be great OCs. There's been plenty of great OCs who didn't turn out to be great head coaches. So, you know, until he does it, who's t- who's going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, Brian Hartline's a better play caller than Ryan Day because he's never done it. So, I Right. And, really, I mean uh, – at the end of the day, Ryan Day only has six losses as a head coach, and we know yeah, right. a bunch of head coaches that have that many losses in one season sometimes. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like I said, let let Heartline, you know, these next couple games, see what he can do. And, you know, if you don't trust him or you think he needs a little bit of help, you know, for Notre Dame. Then... Sorry about the background noise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's going to come out really good in the audio, but you know, oh, yeah, I, gotta I, keep my... <laughs> I know, but I do yeah, agree. Okay. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for Ohio state. And I mean, but at the end of the day, and I will say this is one of the commentators that they kept talking about is despite next week being Youngstown state and the following week being Western Kentucky, we do have Notre Dame week four at Notre Dame and we do have to have our stuff together. I mean, I think this next game is going to be the most important game because it's going to tell us what improvements we've made. And they did state that in the, in the um, game, they said, Hey, you know, the biggest improvement that a team's going to make is from week one to week two. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, obviously the opponent's a little a little bit less, but uh, I mean, also you know, just those live game reps are so important, especially for a new quarterback and a new offensive line. 
um, that, you know, it doesn't at this point, it doesn't matter who they're against. It, it doesn't matter if it is Youngstown State or if it is Notre Dame, just, you know, seeing uh, McCord and, and those tackles get get live game reps against actual one athletes, you know, not just going against players in practice and, you know, quarterbacks not having, you know, a live jersey and, and things like that. Um, yeah, these next couple games are going to be very important game for, for Notre Dame because I'm telling you right now, this Notre Dame team is as, as good of, uh, of a product of, as they've put on the field in a, a very long time, especially at the quarterback position. I mean, that, that Hartman kid can, can really sling it. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot to tune up, and, you know, these next two, two games are going to be a, a good time to, to do that. Absolutely. I think it's going to be huge, and I'm curious to see how this – if there's going to be further development with the quarterback situation or if we're just going to – I mean, I think at this point McCord is the guy, and they need to – try and stick with that as much as possible. But now if we're up, you know, four or five touchdowns in the first half, then by all means, bring in Brown, see what he can do. Um, but in reality, I think the number one priority of our team should be getting the offensive line of gear and just further developing that connection with McCord and the receivers. I think that's going to go – long long way in my opinion yeah no no doubt I mean I I went back and uh and watched the game again uh a little bit ago and uh you know really broke down like each drive you know play by play and 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 the 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 more alarming uh you know uh, downfall of our team was the offensive line you know way more so than than the quarterback I mean um, I think the, you know, McCord can only go as far as the O-line will take him, um, you know, and same with the running backs. I mean, the running backs, yeah, they broke out a few runs, but, you know, they were also getting beat, beat up pretty good in the backfield by, God, number 44, that linebacker, and number one, uh, the, the defensive end. Those were some dudes. I mean, they, I think they were transfer portal guys that just about every team in the country would have taken. So, um, yeah, that offensive line, they got to get shored up. And um, to me, the offensive line at this point is way more of a concern than, uh, than Kyle McCord. So they, they got to get it together. Right. Now, this is probably going to be an interesting take, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So for me, I think after this past game and what we saw last season – I think it's time for Ohio State to move on past Trayvon Henderson. He had a absolutely phenomenal freshman year, which I know we were all just stunned by when he came out and just tore it up. But then last year we saw where Ryan Day couldn't commit. I know that he was dealing with some injuries. I think it was a hamstring issue which anybody that knows anything about football, that's like the worst injury for these players to have. Um, but I think it was very clear that anytime we're around the goal line, Mayan Williams is getting the ball, rightfully so, because he is a Mack truck. But we did not – I don't think anybody expected our third-string running back to kind of – I mean, in my opinion, I think he kind of commanded the – backfield for us 
Yeah, no doubt. I, I think I have a, I have a couple opinions on something. Definitely about Trey. I, I was I was on the. I don't want to say the hate train with Trey last year, but I was extremely frustrated by his play, like you said, after after such a good um, freshman year. But I never and I heard more about it. I didn't really understand the um, extent of his injury. Like you said, they said at one point it might have been a hamstring, and then they said it was a foot. Um, but I, I guess from what I've heard, the, the main thing that kept him out last year was uh, plantar fasciitis, which mm. if anybody's ever had – with if anybody's ever had that, and I will tell you, I have. Um, I have too. <laughs> it, is, it is extremely painful, and um, oh, you feel I, like I you remember, can't move. Like, I, I, I remember having that for a good like six months or so in a row, and I mean, I it was hard to walk just around the house. I mean, my foot hurt so freaking bad. I mean, every time you took a step, it just feels like a knife going into your foot, and um. I can't imagine trying to play running back, with, you know, when I, I can't even hardly get off the couch with that, with that stupid thing. So um, playing running back, I imagine had to have been extremely difficult. I mean, at this point, you know, he, he tried to, he tried to tough it out and uh, obviously it just wasn't there. So I, I would go a little bit easier on Trey um, than, than maybe you were thinking at first, um, you know, give him a chance this season. I, I think him being back to full, health I want to see what he can do Um, you know I don't know maybe he will be disappointing but I I have him as one of the players to watch as you know somebody who could make a big comeback Um, and then uh, your your point about Chip Trainum I I, I totally agree I mean he's a really interesting story I mean he's a guy from Ohio played running back in Ohio Um, Ohio State recruited him I didn't want him as a running back. So he went to Arizona State and said, all right, well, they want me as a running back, and that's the position I want to play. So that's where I'm going. And then, you know, fast forward a year or two, he's back at Ohio State. And he's kind of playing linebacker, but then kind of gets in at running back. And we saw at the end of last season, I mean, he came into the Michigan game, which was a huge surprise to everybody. And right. every time he touched the ball, he he was getting some some very big yardage. Um Matter of fact, I, I went to the Michigan game last year, um, as depressing as that is. And um, at halftime, I heard people – I went to the bathroom, and, and there was fans in there complaining, like, what are we doing? Why are we got Chip Trainum in the game? What are we What are we doing? Like, are we trying to lose the game? We got our fourth-string linebacker in it, running back, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, hey, I mean, listen, he's the only person on the field right now that's even looking halfway productive. So I don't know what right. people are complaining about. And, um, I mean, then I, I saw a continuation of that on Saturday. I mean, every time he touched the ball, he was making something happen. So, I mean, I was I was very uh, surprised to see him in there, um, you know, getting second touches over Mayan, William, Mayan Williams. But, um, I mean, after what he did, I, I think it's uh, pretty easy to see why because he, uh, you know, he was – I think he averaged like eight yards per carry or something, and mine and Trey oh, was averaged crazy. Like three. So, I mean, yeah, I mean he's um, he's he's legit. But see, this brings me back to the whole Trevion Henderson thing. Henderson, I hate to say it, I don't know if he's still not a hundred percent healthy or what it is, um, but when he runs the ball, 
he just it, it doesn't look like he's running hard. I don't like I say I don't know if he's not healthy and he's trying to still push through some injuries or if it's a confidence thing. But it's like he's not hitting the hole hard. Whereas you got Trainum who is just like a man possessed out there running the ball, and I think it makes a huge difference because when Trainum started getting more touches in the second half, the offense started opening up just like you talked about how you want to open up the passing game you know with the running game and I think that was like the biggest one of the biggest effects in the second half in my opinion that didn't get talked about enough yeah for sure and I mean you know Trey like you said I mean Trey had a few nice runs um you know he had a few runs of first seven eight nine yards here and there um but I think he only totaled like maybe I don't know 50 yards for the game or something like that so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see him, uh, you know, break some break some long runs. I mean, like that that first season, he, you know, ripped off a few 60-yard-plus runs. And uh, obviously we didn't see any of that on Saturday. But um, I don't know. You know, that could just be um, another effect of the poor offensive line play because, like I said, uh, offensive line, um, you know, the pass blocking was actually wonderful. Um uh, we didn't allow any pressures, any sacks. Um, you know, McCord was able to stay on his feet. Um, other than that one hit that was, the, you know, maybe an incomplete pass, maybe a fumble, blah, blah, blah. But um, really in pass pro, they did pretty good. Run blocking, on the other hand, was, was atrocious. So, um, Oh, it was again, even worse when we had yeah. short yardage, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, you know, maybe give Trey a pass just for now um, until we can see the offensive line a little better. I think he's got better games ahead of him this year for sure. Oh, I hope so. I definitely hope so. Um, So, yeah, I mean, obviously, as you've seen already, we can talk and talk about Ohio State. Uh, To shift gears a little bit, though, Let's touch just a little bit. I don't know a whole lot about it, but it is the absolute buzz of college football is Colorado and Deion Sanders and the team that he, I mean, it's a literal brand new team. I do think that um, a lot of those players came from Jackson State, which I think that goes to speak on, the talent level that they had at that HBCU that a lot of people didn't realize. They just thought, Hey, you know, he's got top recruits at a HBCU and that's why it's so successful and whatnot. But then um, it was just kind of shocking to see them come out and play the way that they did. Now, a lot of people, including myself, were like, well, you know, TCU is only returning 11 players and, it's a, you know, the defenses aren't great. So, but it, it, it's a very interesting topic. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and, you know, how you think that their season might divulge. They do have a, a tough schedules or well, for them, it's a tough schedule, you know, considering the record very last tough. year, they still got to play Utah, Oregon, USC, um, but I, I think they could come – I foresee them coming out with maybe three losses at the end of the year, maybe four, just depending on if they, they drop a game that they should win. But going from being a one- or two-win team last year to 
that would be an insane improvement. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head for a, a lot of the points I was going to say. Going into uh, their season, I wasn't necessarily buying the hype. I mean, I thought it might be a you know a two or three year rebuild where you know maybe this season they they would struggle but then maybe next year they would look pretty good and um they look better than i thought they were going to for sure um like you said looking at their schedule i at the beginning of the year i had them with about a six and six record i mean i thought they would lose to tcu oregon uc usc ucla um utah oregon state and then maybe even, you know, another team or two in there like Nebraska. We don't know what Nebraska's necessarily going to look like or, you know, some of the other teams that they're going to play. So I, I had them going into the year maybe six and six at best. Um, but after looking at the product we saw on the field Saturday, I'm, I'm with you. I think I don't think nine and three or eight, and four are all of that um, far fetched. I mean, yeah, I, them beating Oregon and USC for sure. I I don't think that can happen. I think that's at least two losses. Utah is extremely tough. Um, so yeah, I mean, oh, I can imagine the sports world and sports media. I mean, if they beat any of those three teams, Oregon, USC, or Utah, I mean, and as they should though, they should go crazy because you're talking about a program that I don't know if they've ever been remotely good, to be honest, and not the yeah. crap on their history, but I think it's, it's definitely interesting. Travis Hunter is by far probably one of the most interesting players in college football. I know it's only two weeks in, technically, if you count week zero, but to play both sides of the ball and play like 70-plus plays in a game 100. is – 120 snaps total he took. I mean, just the the amount of the sheer volume alone, the conditioning, and then to put up, you know, 100-plus yards. And it's just – it's crazy. It's crazy. And then Sanders, the quarterback, I mean, he had himself a day through 500 yards. And, I mean, I don't think you could find a – I don't know if there's ever a player in Colorado football history that's thrown 500 yards in a game. So no, no I, I mean I think it said he broke every <laughs> every past <laughs> record and stuff they ever had basically in like one game or whatever and, it was. So well, and yeah. here's the wild part: it was on a seventy-two percent completion rating. Yeah. So it's not like they were out there throwing the ball seventy-five times a game, and you know it was just sticking here and there. I mean, seventy-two percent—that's that is phenomenal numbers, and that's a great completion rating especially coming out the gate like that so it's definitely exciting to see that i'm curious to see what the week's upcoming once you know everybody starts getting in conference play or they play there's not a lot of tough out of market um game scheduled this year so to speak like i think the biggest one on the books might be ohio state at notre dame whereas in past, we've had a lot more um, prevalent games scheduled, whether that be, you know, Georgia or 
um, Oregon or it just seems like the out of conference schedules just aren't there this year. I don't know if it's just back when the schedules were done, there were tough games scheduled and then it fell through like uh, Florida state and LSU. I think when that was originally scheduled, because a lot of people don't know that these schedules are generated four five, even six years in advance because of how much goes into scheduling them. So when you schedule those games, like a prime example, a few years back, Ohio State had a game. Uh, I think they did a home-and-home with Hawaii uh, back-to-back years. And at the time when they originally scheduled it, Hawaii was great. They were making big bowl games, and they, they really made a name for themselves. But then by the time we actually got around to playing them, everyone's like, oh, they just scheduled Hawaii. You know, they're not, they're not a good team by any means. They're – not even a 500 record at best. And, but when we scheduled them, they were finishing well above 500 and bowl contingent and playing. I mean, I'm not saying they were on New Year's Six Bowls every year, but they were definitely playing in late December. Yeah, um, I, I will say as far – yeah, I don't know that the out-of-conference out of schedules are, are really as strong as they used to be, but I, I will say the one matchup – I've been looking forward to all offseason um, as Alabama, Texas next week. That is going to be an absolute dogfight in uh, a game that I think Texas really, I think, what was it, Quinn Ewers got hurt or something. Otherwise, they might have yep. won that game last year. Um, so that's that's going to be a big one. But like you said, yeah, Ohio State, Notre Dame. And um, I yeah, think the scheduling, the scheduling thing is something I've been talking about for years that uh, that's always annoyed me. Like you said, these games are scheduled so far in advance. I mean, we could schedule Alabama or or, or Georgia or uh, USC or who? Well, we're gonna have USC, so that, that's not a good example. But say Alabama and Georgia, we could say we're gonna play a home and home with them, you know, in the next six seven years, and we could get down the road, and Georgia could absolutely stink. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, these the schedules, man, I, I hate hearing that when people are like, oh, they didn't schedule tough enough um, opponents, blah, 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 blah. But we've done that in the past, and, and it's turned out exactly like that. You know, we might have uh, scheduled a team, and then when they got, to, you know, that was a top 10 team, and then when they got to us in three or four years, they were uh, a 500 team. So Now, we can't agree. Always, Michigan always just does not schedule tough whatsoever. They rely – specifically on the conference to make their bid for the playoffs. But I think it's going to get super interesting once this playoff expansion happens because our team's going to be rewarded for scheduling tough games and losing them versus, you know, right now it's, I mean, you can barely afford to lose one game and get in. You still got to win your conference or you still got to be, you know, elite in every other category to get into that top four but once it busts open to 12 it's going to be obviously your conference champions and then it's going to be what is it five at large or six at large and I think you could see one of two ways you could see it being that people are going to schedule light maintain their wins and just accept the couple of conference losses they might get or you might see teams scheduling tougher and People will get teams will get rewarded for like, hey, you know, prime example, Texas scheduled Alabama. They may not have won, but they played them really close, just like last year. And maybe that has a lot more effect on the resume. I think it's going to be interesting to see how all of that develops. 
Yeah, um, I could uh, I could give my opinions on the uh, the college playoff expansion here, but um, I don't want to get too uh, too heated. With well, I will say this. I'll say this. Go ahead. For the college playoffs, this is my thing. We are fighting tooth and nail every year to determine who the best four is. I personally was cool with doing six, but I feel like maybe even eight, but I like six because your two best teams can get a bye, and then the other four will play, and then you'll have your, you know, your semifinals and then finals. So those two best will get a semifinal berth, so to speak. But once you start branching out to eight and 12 teams, is it going to fall into all the politics of college football are we going to see five sec teams in there because oh well we have losses because we play the sec and or you know is it going to be of course at this rate there's only going to be the sec and the big 10 but yeah it's for me if you're struggling to decide who that fourth best team is every year how are you going to name eight more teams as worthy and And that's the thing, and that's where it gets kind of – one thing I like for football compared to basketball, basketball is wild, you know, with the NCAA tournament. And it's super exciting. Don't get me wrong. Everybody loves March Madness. But when you look at basketball and how all of that stuff is scheduled, any team can make it any year. I mean, SDSU, San Diego State University, just played in the college national championship. They were a great team. But you can't tell me that at the end of the season, people were like, oh, man, SDSU, they're the team, you know? So it kind of opens it up to this any given Sunday type of mentality. And I, I mean, maybe it'll be good for the smaller marketed teams every year because I know there's a lot of those people that are tired of seeing – Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, you know. But that, that's just kind of how it is, though. People are tired of seeing the same teams yeah. in it every year. And I think that's why they're trying to do this. Because in reality, I mean, once you get to the end of the year, you don't think to yourself, oh, Wisconsin, I know they have those three tough losses, but they for sure should be in the playoffs. So it, it'll just be interesting to see how that divulges. Um, yeah, let, let, me, I, let me just say one thing about that before we move on. I, my, I, I can we could probably get into uh, uh, more in depth thoughts on that on another episode. But my my biggest thing, my biggest thought on the playoff expansion is you, the word you said was uh, was worthy is the word that stuck out in my head. On one of the things that you said was, you know, we're trying to figure out those four teams that are worthy of getting in. And, you know, when you look at the top, like I, I, one thing I've liked to do the past few years since we found out that it was expanded to 12 is um, look back at the end of the season and see who those top 12 teams were in that last playoff ranking um, to see who would be the 12 teams had the, had the playoff started last year, the year before this year. And um, you know, one of the things that you'll look, you'll look at, you'll see that that 12th team um, there was a couple years where that team had three losses and, you know, depending on how these schedules align and stuff, um, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that that 12th team could um, 
potentially have four losses, you know, the 12th ranked team in the country once these conferences get get so much stronger. So, you know, you're telling me that a team that has three or four losses is worthy of competing for a national championship. And to me, that's just so crazy to think about because we're coming from the, you know, the older days of the BCS or even just this 14 playoff now where, like you said, you know, you lose one game and you're fighting tooth and nail to try to, you know, you know, claw your way in. So to me, just the thought of thinking that like, oh yeah, this team that lost three or four games deserves a chance to play for the national title. That to me is just freaking wild, but um, you know, it's expanding whether I like it or not. So nothing I can do about it, but I don't know. To me, it's just, it's crazy, but I'll, uh, yeah, I'll digress on that. Yeah, man, I, I'm right there with you. Um, I will say, though, because we have divulged so much into Ohio State that we <laughs> are actually coming up on the maximum time allowed per the episode. However, we can always further divulge in another episode. I know I didn't get to touch base on the NFL and fantasy stuff like I'd planned, but the good news is, is that I can also release multiple episodes in a week. So... You know, we can always, uh, here a little later today, we can reconvene and do another session. Maybe it won't be as long. It'll be kind of like a part two. And it'll give people some insight on those other topics with the NFL. Because there's a lot that I want to talk about with the NFL. And I love, even though I wasn't really planning on doing much fantasy this year, somehow I'm in four leagues happens every year um but i would love to talk about that so i think for this episode this is going to kind of wrap it up and then we'll get things going for the next one and we'll just kind of go from there yeah sounds good man uh i appreciate it dude i i I love doing this i think we uh this this used to be like our uh you know our our nightly routine on the uh call of duty headset right you know i mean we just got together and just uh bs our thoughts on on current events and sports and stuff so it's kind of cool to have like a i don't know a, a, a more official platform to talk about this stuff than just than just us bs over in the phone so I, I i love it man this is great i agree and you know i'm excited i'm hoping that this grows a little bit to where we can get some outside fans in here as well and really spark those debates and conversations i'd love to get an sec guy in here and you know talk about that um but for now this is going to wrap up this episode zach again i truly appreciate you coming on the pod and being that first guest and we will get the next part two out shortly after part one i'll probably release them almost simultaneously or i might have a day in between but the plan is to get it released very soon. All right. And that was your part where you say whatever, but all right. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you were done. I don't no. know. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. I, so, thought, that was your, I thought that was your outro. My bad. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're good. I'm still new to this. So I'm still learning, but um, I will be in touch with you and then we will go from there. So that does wrap up this episode of Drew and Co. Unplugged.